بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا من فضلك علما وتعليما إنك على كل شيء قدير اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد في الأولين اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الآخرين اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الملأ الأعلى إلى يوم الدين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله الحمد لله We continue with our reading and study of this book Salutations of the Prophetic Portrait for the Vision of the Beloved and just to reorient ourselves to see where we are, we mentioned in the previous class that pages 30 to 61 cover what we may call general virtues, general manaqib and fada'il, some khasa'is, some unique things. And the first part of this section of page 30 to 61 is a collection of verses from the Qur'an and that section we covered last week I, I thought that I was going to cover that section plus the hadith but we only covered the verses the second part of that is a presentation of certain hadith narrations that speak about the virtues of the Prophet Sallallahu and that's where we are so we're actually on page 34 now, it seems clear to me that the author, Hafizahullah, is presenting a general collection of narrations pertaining to the virtues and the unique qualities of the Prophet wasallam. something like a, a selection before he gets into individual aspects that he explores in more detail. And if we look at this section of the hadith narrations which goes up until it appears to page 42 we see that a lot of these narrations pertain to the istifa of the Prophet now what is istifa? well what's one of his names? Mustafa, Mustafa. one of the names of the Prophet is Al-Mustafa which means the chosen one. And that name has so many meanings, or we could say uh, applications. Uh, so Mustafa means, uh, in the most immediate sense, the one who was chosen by Allah Ta'ala to be the final prophet and messenger sent to humanity. Now Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala also mentions in the Quran that he chooses all of the prophets. So the istifa also means being chosen, uh, selected by Allah Ta'ala to be a prophet or messenger. So any prophet, any messenger at any time in history is Mustafa to their people because they are selected and chosen by Allah Ta'ala to be a prophet or messenger to their people. The difference between the istifa of the previous prophets and the istifa of Sayyidina Rasulullah is that his is universal. 
That's the chief difference. His is universal, theirs is particular to their people. And we'll see some of that here. Another aspect of istifa, beyond being selected as a prophet and messenger, is the istifa of virtues, uh, of qualities, of preeminence. I think that's a good word to use here, preeminence, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to be the first in so many things. And we're going to see many of those narrations today. And all of this istifa, whether it is the istifa of being a prophet, the istifa of being the final prophet, the istifa of all of these qualities, all of this istifa, that word, uh, points to the will of Allah Ta'ala. Because istifa means to be selected, to be chosen by who? By his Lord. So all that we're reading about are what the scholars call al-mawahib al-rabbaniya or al-mawahib al-ilahiya the special gifts from Allah given to the Prophet So we begin with the first hadith and uh, I, I note that the author he doesn't give the takhrij for most of these narrations but going through them uh, they're all sound hadith. There's not a single hadith here that he mentions, uh, apart from maybe one yeah, that uh, is not what we call sahih or at least hasan. So we begin with the first hadith. He says, regarding the hadith, the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has said, I am the master of all of the children of Adam and it is no boast. What is the word for master here? Does anyone know the Arabic for this? Sayyid. Sayyid. And you always hear that, right? Uh, we're instilled with that, right? You, you add that name Sayyid, that title Sayyid, to the Prophet Sallallahu So he says himself, أَنَا سَيِّدُ وَلَدِ Adam, Right? وَلَا فَخْرِ I am the, the, the chief or the master or the leader of the children of Adam, and that is no boast. So his siyada, his leadership, his role as chief or leader or master, is not just to this ummah. It's for all of the children of Adam. Bel Sayyidul Khalq. And he says here, Wala Fakhr. That's no boast. Because Imam al Nawi, he talks about this. And Imam al-Nawi in his Sharh of Sahih Muslim, he says, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is the, the, the humblest of the humble. And out of his humility, he would not say things that are, even if they're true, about his status except that Allah has commanded him to. And because Allah commanded him to mention this preeminent station so that people recognize his rank he conveys that and he says I am the master of the children of Adam but he adds that is no boast this is because Allah has commanded him to communicate that right if you or me or anyone else here was to go around and say 
I am the master of anything, that would be seen as boastful, right? But if you truly are a master in something, and your master, as Sayyidul Mutlaq, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told you to communicate it, you communicate it. And it's out of humility that you say it, it's not out of boast. So he says, Wala fakhr. He says, Adam and everyone else will be under my banner on the day of standing. I am the first intercessor and the first whose intercession will be accepted. So note two things here. He says, Right? So the Shafi' is the one who intercedes on the Day of Judgment. The Mushaffa' is the one whose intercession is accepted. Right? So imagine you have a group of people who are all standing in the presence of a king and they all have high status in the eyes of the king. And they all want to intercede for someone or a group of people. There may be in this group of people, maybe the, the first one pleads to intercede from somebody, but there's others, right? That person's intercession may be accepted, but it may not, may not be the first one who's accepted. So here he's saying that not only is he the first to plead in the presence of Allah to intercede on behalf of the ummah, but he's also the first whose intercession will be accepted. There are other people who will intercede on the Day of Judgment, and there's several hadith that talk about that. Uh, even children, right? Children who die, uh, they intercede for their parents by Allah's permission. Everything's by Allah's permission. But their intercession won't be the first, right? So of the various forms of shafa'a, the different types of people who intercede, he will be the first one to intercede, and he will be the first one whose intercession is accepted as well. So there's preeminence there as well. He, he says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I am the first for whom the earth will be split open. So this is talking about resurrection. When Allah Ta'ala uh, resurrects the angel Israfil who blows the trumpet, when he blows the trumpet the second time, that is uh, heralding the hashar, right? The, the resurrection and the gathering where the earth splits open and the bodies and the souls reunite once again to stand before judgment. So of all of the human beings who are resurrected, the first one to uh, appear on that day will be the Prophet Sallallahu he says, the praiseworthy rank and the hawl both belong to me. So al-maqam al-mahmud, the praiseworthy rank, that's how he translated, translates it here. And the hawl, meaning that pond or reservoir in, uh, in the hereafter, belong to me. The intercession, wasila, which is a rank in paradise that is reserved for only one person. And I hope to be that person. So uh, here, uh, we go back to the verse of the Qur'an where Allah Ta'ala says, uh, He uses the word asa, right? In Arabic, asa is often translated as perhaps or, or hopefully. Asa, 
أَنْ يَبَعَثَكَ رَبُّكَ مَقَامًا مَحْمُودًا Right? So that would be translated as perhaps your Lord will usher you unto the praiseworthy station. Now one of the things you have to understand about the Qur'an from the tafsir mentioned by Ibn Abbas and others is that when Allah Ta'ala says Asa, it, although it's translated as perhaps, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen, right? Asa, although it means perhaps, in this context it actually means it will happen. So the Prophet says, and I hope to be that person, not because there's a chance he won't, but because that is the adab one has with Allah Ta'ala. Even if you're promised something and you, you believe the promise of Allah and you have certainty, you say, I, I, I still have hope. I have hope that I'm that person. And that's what he's expressing here. So asa is actually yaqeen in this context. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this idea that there's no intercession, this, is, this has been put forward by different people who have a very, uh, a very overly rationalist, modernist leaning. And they've taken that from some of the doctrines of the Mu'tazila who rejected intercession as a concept. But Ahlul Sunnah, we believe in intercession. And Allah Ta'ala mentions it in multiple verses of the Qur'an. And of course we know that all intercession is بِإِذْنِلَّهِ لَا يَشْفَعُونَ Right? إِلَّا بِإِذْنِ Right? They, they do not intercede and the intercession is not accepted except by the permission of Allah Ta'ala. Um, there's, there's a history to that too. Uh, and it relates to the jahili understanding of shafa'a, which is totally wrong. Uh, in the Jahili pre-Islamic Arab understanding of Shafa'a, theirs was, so they had this belief uh, among the pagan Arabs that the intercession uh, is something that, the, that Allah has to accept. That there's almost a, there's a level of power that the deities have where, where God is forced to accept their intercession as if they're on an equal level here. Uh, that is negated, of course, in the Qur'an. So Allah says, it's only by His permission, right? And there's numerous hadith that mention the shafa'a, not only of the Prophet wasallam, but also uh, of parents, of children, of different prophets, uh, of, of shuhada, of martyrs, uh, different types of people. Uh, so that shafa'a is all affirmed in a general sense. And the shafa'a takes different forms, as we'll see and some of the narrations coming. There's shafa'a for beginning the actual taking of account so that the process begins after standing. There's the shafa'a for getting out of hell for those who are uh, destined to hell for purification temporarily. There's shafa'a for uh, going to a higher degree of paradise. There's multiple ways that could be uh, expressed or materialized on the Day of Judgment. There's hope for everyone. <laughs> There's hope for everyone. And the Prophet says, شَفَاعَتِي لِأَهْلِ الْكَبَائِرِ مِنْ أُمَّتِي 
He says, my intercession is for the people of my ummah who commit major sins. So there's hope. There's hope for everybody. And that, that shafa'ah is received by virtue of our nisbah, our ascription to the Prophet uh, One of the great imams said, one of the worst sins, one of the worst sins a person can have is to think that they are so good and they are so pious that on the day of judgment they will not be in need of the shafa'ah of the Prophet How could someone have such an attitude? So that's our hope, right? And that's the permission of Allah Ta'ala and it's out of honor for the Prophet and his ummah. Uh, the hadith continues, I will enter the garden before all the prophets and my nation will enter before all the other nations. So again, we see this preeminence, this firstness. And the firstness is with respect to him, وسلم, as well as a firstness for the ummah. Right? We're the last ummah. We're the last ummah. There's no prophet after him. So there's no new ummah. So we're the last ummah who has a prophet. We have shorter lifespans. We're in a time, oh, look around, you know. Yet, out of honor for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, we're still the first on the Day of Judgment, right? He says, I'll enter the garden before all of the prophets and my ummah will enter before all the other nations. My nation is the first and the last. Al-awwalun wal-akhirun. They're the first and the last, meaning they are the first to enter Jannah, but the last to appear in this world. That's in the sense they're the last. He says, and they are the majority of the people of paradise. One person from my community will enter paradise through his intercession, the likes of the tribes of Rabi'a and Mudar. So now he's speaking about the intercession of, the, of, of members of his ummah. So as a member of the ummah of the Prophet Allah gives permission for some of them to intercede for large groups of people too. So, and that's out of honor for the Prophet ﷺ because that's an ummati, that's a person from his ummah. And their intercession is not just for their children or their parents or their friends. It says here literally uh, for groups uh, as large as the tribes of Rabi'a and Mudar. Uh, Rabi'a and Mudar, these are major tribes. And among them you have the sub-tribes and clans. You're talking masses of people, right? He says, وسلم, I will continue to intercede until the fire will say, O Muhammad, you have not left me any portion of your community. My nation will be the least in action, the shortest in lifespan, but the greatest in virtue and reward. This is from the bounty of Allah upon me and upon my nation. So when he says, وسلم, my nation will be the least in action, the shortest in lifespan. When he says least in action, doesn't mean that they're the most negligent of khayr. Doesn't mean they're the laziest. What it means is, when you compare the average lifespan of a Muslim to the lifespan of the, the members of other umam from the previous prophets, 
our lives are considerably shorter than their lives. And there's a hadith to this effect. The previous nations, we have narrations from like the people of Nuh alayhi salam. One narration says, because how long did he give da'wah? Allah mentions in the Quran, 950 years. That's just da'wah. So Allah had given these people very long lifespans compared to ours. And in one narration it says that someone from the nation of Nuh, if he had died at 200 years of age, people would send condolences to the family and say he died young. So dying at 200 is like dying at 20, right? And so some of the Sahaba wondered about this. They said, well, they have these really long lifespans compared to us, all those previous bygone nations. So they had more time for ibadah. They had more time for devotions to Allah Ta'ala. Therefore, if we're looking at it numerically in terms of, or quantifiably, who has more good deeds, the person who lives to 200 years or 300 and they're praying and fasting and doing dhikr and khair and sadaqah and all this khair, they're going to have more, right, on the quantifiable level than someone who only lives for 50 or 60 or 70 years. And in relation to that, Allah Ta'ala revealed a chapter in the Qur'an. That chapter is, إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ فِي لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ وَمَا أَدَرَاكَ مَا لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ خَيْرٌ مِنْ أَلْفِ شَهَرٌ So, the night of Qadr, Laylatul Qadr, is better than a thousand months, which is 83 years and I think four months. Uh, so, one night of Laylatul Qadr is the equivalent of more than a lifetime of ibadah. So, if a person catches Laylatul Qadr for even, even 20 years, 10 years even, that is the equivalent of how many years? Let's just say 10 years. 10 Ramadans, they catch Laylatul Qadr. How many years is that equivalent? Right? 800 and whatever, 830, 840 years. So that's even longer than the lifespans of some of these people. So we're the shortest, as the hadith says, the least in action and the shortest in lifespan, but the greatest in virtue and reward. Now the greatness and virtue and reward isn't just quantifiable, that's the thing. People don't understand. People think that everything is about math calculations. That, that everything is dependent on their ajr calculator. I take my ajr calculator and I calculate all of this. Okay, I did this and this. So, hur wa qusur. So here's my heavenly maidens and my palaces in paradise. That, that's, that's not it. Because you can give a single penny when you're hard-pressed. You give it in charity with sincerity, and it has far more value than someone who gives a million dollars. So it's not just the uh, quantifiable from a material, materialist perspective. It is the value that Allah assigns that action, right? What did He say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? That woman who entered the fire, دَخَلَتْ النَّارْ فِي هِرَّةِ Right, she, she entered the hellfire on account of a cat because she abused the cat 
and she kept it tied up and didn't feed it or let it go to live on its own. And because of that, Allah punishes her. Right? On the other hand, we have the hadith of the woman from Bani Israel, who was what? She was, she was a prostitute. She was a harlot. And one day, she saw the dog outside of the well, dying of thirst and panting, and she took off her shoe, more like a boot. She dipped the water, fed the dog, and on account of that alone, Allah Ta'ala forgave her sins. So, if a person gives a million dollars in charity, if you compare that person's action to a person who just feeds a dog, from the quantifiable perspective, you would say, well, that charity benefited far more people. It benefited human beings who are superior to animals. So, from that perspective, this person gets more reward. And they do get reward, right? But Allah assigns the value of different actions. So Allah has assigned the value of the deeds of the Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ uh, on multiple levels. But what we're looking at here is the value given because of their intisab, because of their ascription to their Sayyid, to their Prophet, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. This, he says, is from the bounty of Allah upon me and upon my nation. So that's the end of that, that lengthy narration. Now the Shaykh says, Therefore, the Prophet ﷺ is the best of creation entirely, for he is the mercy for the worlds. The worlds refer to everything besides Allah. So he's drawing from a verse of Qur'an. What is that verse? Right, this is the verse that everyone should know. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ we have not sent you but as a rahmah, a mercy to the alameen. What is the alameen? We did the tafsir of Surah Fatiha a year or two ago. Exactly. So, alameen means kullu ma siwallah. Right? Everything other than Allah. So, Imam Suyuti talks about this in his khasas. And he says that uh, this means that he is a mercy to the uh, to human beings and jinn he is a mercy to the animate and the inanimate creations he is a mercy to everything besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the alamin all of creation and that rahmah takes different forms uh, and this is what he says here he now mentions the narration from Sayyiduna Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma. Ibn Abbas has said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam said the prophets will have pulpits of gold which they will be seated upon. A pulpit here means minbar, manabir, right? But my minbar will remain which I will not be seated upon. For I will be standing before my Lord in fear that I will be sent to paradise and my community will remain behind. I will say, O Lord, Ummati, Ummati, my community, my community. Allah will say, O Muhammad, what would you want me to do with your people? I will say, O Lord, hasten their account. So they will be summoned and they will be accounted. 
Now, this is taken from, there's a few hadith like this actually. Uh, and these hadith uh, are used in our tafsir of the verse of Quran in Surah Al-Duha. In Surah Al-Duha, Allah Ta'ala says, وَلَسَوْفَ يُعْطِيكَ رَبُّكَ فَتَرْضَى Your Lord will most, will most certainly give you and you will be pleased. You'll be satisfied. This hadith and others, so others are actually more explicit, where the meaning of that verse, when Allah says, He will give you and you will be pleased, that giving is shafa'a. That giving is uh, seeing that the ummah, the members of his ummah, that are guilty of major sins, who do have to go through some form of purification, they are taken out of the hellfire and entered into Jannah. And that is the meaning. Uh, another meaning is the hastening of the hisab. So it begins. He says, there will be those from among them who enter paradise through the mercy of Allah. Others will enter paradise through my intercession. I will continue to intercede until a large group of men, any people, who have been ordered to the fire will be brought. I will go to Madik, the guardian of the fire, and he will say to me, O Muhammad, you have not left any of your people for the fire of the anger of your Lord. So this is speaking about the, the shafa'a of people getting out of hell who were there for some time due to their major sins. Now, and we've talked about that before, I think either in the Lives of Man class or in the Aqidah class, that uh, as Muslims, we don't believe that a person with Tawheed will go to hell, meaning forever, right? However, if a person dies, they leave this world having done kabair, major sins, and they have not repented, then that person who died with major sins without tawbah is tahta mashi'atillah. They are uh, under the will of Allah, His discretion. If, the, if Allah wills, He may punish that person. If He wills, He may forgive that person. If Allah wills, the purification for those sins may be at the time of death itself, in the sakaratul maut, the pangs of death. If Allah wills, that purification could be in the intensity of the questioning in the grave or the experiences in the grave. If Allah wills, that purification can be on the day of standing itself in the difficulty of that day. So the difficulty itself is the thing that expiates and purifies that person from the effects of their sins. It could be that that person is destined to the upper part of hell for purification for as long as Allah wills, at which point they're purified and taken out when Allah wills. Uh, and then some people, Allah just forgives them and has mercy on them out of His sheer grace. It's not quantifiable. You can't reduce it to a formula, right? Mm -hmm. Then that's where you're going to stay. And if somebody goes to 
Well, there's multiple narrations uh, in, in Bukhari and Muslim and other hadith collections which mentions the people being taken out of the hellfire. But these are people of Iman. That's the thing. I will make that point very clear. These are people of Iman, right? The Prophet Wasallam says, uh, no one enters Jannah except one who is pure. So that purification either takes place in this life or Allah's grace of purifying them or purification through some trials or, or even punishments. Uh, once a person enters Jannah by Allah's grace and mercy, there's no getting out, there's no coming out of that. That's eternal bliss, that's eternal rida. But for people of Iman, people of Tawheed, who are not purified through those other means, if Allah destines for them to enter hell for some time, it is just for some time, right? It is not eternal, because eternal punishment would only be for people who died upon kufr, uh, knowingly rejecting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? People who have iman don't suffer that fate. And this is what the hadith is referring to. Right. Man kana fi qalbihi habbatu min iman. The one who has a mustard seed of faith will uh, exit the hellfire among those people. Right. Uh, the next narration. The Prophet wasallam also said, I will intercede on the day of standing for more than what is on the face of the earth than the stones and the rocks. This is expressing the abundance, the, the, the massive amount of people to receive the shafara of the Prophet The Messenger of Allah said, On that day, I will be adorned with a garment from the garments of paradise. I will then stand on the right of the throne. There will be no one else from the creation who will stand in that place other than me. Right, and obviously we understand this to be uh, free of any kind of anthropomorphism, right? So I know in the Christian tradition, you know, they say that Jesus stands on the the right hand, uh, the right hand side of, of the throne of God, issuing judgment, and which is interesting because theologically they also say he's God. So that's a problem. But the when we say the right hand of the throne or the right side of the throne. It's not in the anthropomorphic way, right? Because the throne is not a, a chair for a physical being like that. It is the largest of Allah's creation in, in size and in immensity. But it's not the greatest of Allah's creation, right? It is the greatest in, uh, in, in size and in physical size, but not the greatest in terms of rank or... Uh, value and the Prophet stands in that pinnacle position as people receive judgment and no one else has that position. When Allah Ta'ala mentions Al Maqam al Mahmud, Maqam means literally a place of standing, it also means a station as in a rank, 
a position of authority or a favor, a blessing given to, uh, by Allah to that person. So there are uh, a number of narrations, right, uh, that mention uh, this positioning, this physical positioning on the Day of Judgment. In the next narration, uh, I love this narration. Uh, this is from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, who says, a group of the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu were sitting and waiting for him. The Prophet arrived and came close to the companions until he heard their conversation. So they're basically hanging out, talking with each other, and he's, he's listening to it from some distance. One of them said, How astounding! Allah took from his creation a friend. What is this referring to? He took Ibrahim as a Khalil, as a friend. Now Khalil means intimate friend. Another one said, That is not as astonishing as Allah speaking to Musa openly and clearly. وَكَلَّمَ اللَّهُ مُوسَى تَكْلِيمًا Allah spoke directly to Musa السلام, without intermediary. Another said, how about Isa, who was the word of Allah and his spirit? Karimatullah wa ruhun minhu. Another one said, well, Adam was chosen by Allah, you know, the, the, the first of humanity. The Prophet وسلم, joined them, greeted them with salam and said, I heard your conversation and your wonder. Ibrahim is indeed the Khalil of Allah. And he is like that. Musa is the converser of Allah. I, I would prefer saying the recipient of direct divine speech. And he is like that. Huwa kathadik. Isa is his spirit and his word. Wa huwa kathadik. Adam was chosen by Allah. And he is like that. However, I am the beloved of Allah. Habibullah. I am the beloved of Allah, and that is no boast. I am the carrier of the Liwa'ul Hamd, the banner of praise on the day of standing. That is no boast. I am the first of the intercessors and the first whose intercession will be accepted on the day of standing. That is no boast. I am the first who will knock the door of paradise and Allah will open it for me and enter me into it. Along with me will be the believing fuqara, the poor ones, and it is no boast. I am the most noble from the first and the last. That is no boast. So here he cites the hadith, he gives you the takhreej, it's from Tirmidhi, his sunan. So this hadith is beautiful because uh, when we talk about the ranks of the prophets, we have to be very careful, right? Allah Ta'ala says, Tilka rusulu faddalna ba'dahum ala ba'd. Those are the messengers, we have preferred some over others. So we affirm a hierarchy of, for the messengers and prophets. Some of them have been given more by Allah Ta'ala than others. And when you compare the prophets and messengers, it has to be a comparison uh, based on adab, based on proper language, proper respect, right? Uh, the way, there's a right way to do that and a wrong way to do that. 
The right way to do that is that, as you see here. You affirm the unique things given to each prophet and then he, he, he affirms what is given to him. Right? Now, there's a principle here. Uh, in, I think this is a really important principle for people to understand, uh, not just in this subject, but so many others. And that is a principle that the scholars elucidate, saying, Al-Maziyya la taqtadi al-afdaliyya. They say that a distinctive quality given to someone that others don't necessarily have does not imply a superiority over others. Right? A person may receive something that is unique to them that others don't have. That doesn't always imply superiority. I'll give you a very clear example. Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu it is mentioned in the hadith that the Prophet ﷺ said that whenever Umar takes a path in any of the streets, who takes another path getting away from him? Shaytan. That is a unique quality, a unique thing for Sayyidina Umar. We call this a maziya, a distinction. That distinction does not imply his superiority on every level because we also have the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he's literally wrestling with shaitan why didn't shaitan flee to another path so that that doesn't mean that anyone from whom shaitan flees is automatically superior to those from whom he doesn't flee right for whom will shaitan have stronger enmity Omar or the Prophet ﷺ the Prophet So that is one example. And there's lots of these among Sahaba, you know. This one has a unique quality, that one has a unique quality. That doesn't mean that they're automatically superior to everyone to the others, right? And that's a very long and complicated discourse when we talk about the ranks of the Sahaba in particular and the you know who is the most superior, right? That's a very long and complicated thing and a good number of the uh, Sahaba as well as the ulama after them uh, preferred that people don't go down that road trying to argue it, right? We, we have, there is a hierarchy for sure, but there are certain differences early on in Islamic history. So it shouldn't be cause for uh, losing adab in how we speak about them. So likewise with the prophets. We speak about the prophets and the hierarchy with the knowledge that Rasulullah is Sayyidul Anbiya wal Mursaleen. He's their leader and they have distinctive qualities, but doesn't mean they're automatically superior. So that's the right way to do it, as you see in this hadith. The wrong way to do this is uh, one that I heard over 20 years ago in a khutbah. May Allah forgive and guide this person but you learn from people's mistakes. This person wants to uh, show the high rank of the Prophet ﷺ. But instead of doing it like this, he says, well, you know, Adam ate from the tree, you know, so he's doing some bad over there. You know, Ibrahim did some things. Musa, you know, he did some bad things. 
this one did some bad things, but the Prophet didn't, therefore superior. So the, the concluding statement is haq, right? But the way he arrived at it was through batil. It was by denigrating or lowering the status of the other prophets. You don't elevate the Prophet ﷺ by lowering them. You simply establish his rank. And when you speak about it in relation to the other prophets, you do it with respect. That's all. And people have to learn that. And the best way to learn it is through gatherings like this. Because through learning this, you develop a sensitivity. Right? Once you develop that sensitivity to how people speak about the Prophet ﷺ and the other prophets and other pious figures, once you develop that sensitivity, it helps you, preserves, preserves your iman. That's the positive. Uh, and if there's a negative, the negative is that once you have that sensitivity, you hear things that you didn't hear before. You, you pick up on things that people may not even intentionally mean disrespect, but they may not have that guardedness with their tongue, right? And this is where the, the, we find the benefit in uh, these gatherings of learning this, the adab of language, right? So that hadith has so many benefits. Sir? Yes. Yes, yeah, beginning of humanity to the end. Uh, the next hadith, he says, it is related from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, who said that it was asked, O Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when was prophecy obligated upon you? Uh, this is the Arabic, uh, yeah, or nabuwa. Which means when was uh, when was prophethood, the rank of being a prophet, when was that ordained? So wajibat here, we think of wajib as obligatory, right, as a legal command. Uh, but it, here it means decreed, uh, destined, ordained, right? And the Prophet wasallam says, when Adam was between spirit and body. So there's about, there's about two dozen hadith like this. About two dozen. Uh, many of them are uh, different narrations of the same hadith. Uh, some of them are distinct hadith with different wordings. So when we put them all together, we have about two dozen. Uh, you could probably boil them down to about 10 to 12 uh, if, you, if you discount the mutaba'at, the repetitions, uh, all of them emphasizing this point, uh, that the Prophet ﷺ was ordained or decreed and made a Nabi when Adam was between ruh and jasad, between spirit and body. So let's talk about this. Let's mention the incorrect understanding first and get that out of the way. Uh, some people misunderstand this hadith. And they say it means that the Prophet ﷺ was decreed or he was known 
as a prophet in the ilm of Allah, the knowledge of Allah when Adam was in between spirit and body. That's false. Does anyone know why? So the knowledge of Allah doesn't have a beginning or end. There's no updating to the knowledge of Allah. Right? His knowledge is encompassing of everything. So, of course Allah Ta'ala knows that the Prophet wasallam is to be the final messenger when he is given his physical form and created at this point of time in the history of humanity. But that knowledge is eternal. Right, so if that's what the hadith means, then the hadith that applies to everybody and everything. There's no, there's no distinction there. That's not what it means. What it means is that the rank of nubuwa, right? This position that Allah gives to a select number of human beings, from the prophets and messengers, right? The one narration, 124,000. Uh, it's a special uh, rank Allah gives to certain people, right? What this means is that the Prophet ﷺ was accorded the rank of Nabi even before his physical existence, right? So in his Ruhani existence in this Alam al Arwah, in the realm of souls that we spoke about, he was a Nabi even before the physical creation of Adam, right? So if you look at it like this, Adam alayhi salam, Allah Ta'ala creates his physical form from water, from clay, right? There's different verses which mention the stages. Before the ruh is breathed into him, Right, the physical form is created before the ruh is breathed into him. The Prophet ﷺ is given the rank of nubuwa in the alam al-arwah, the realm of souls, before the ruh of Adam was blown into the body of Adam. So Adam ﷺ is the first prophet in, in the temporal sense. Right, if you look at all of the prophets that were born in this world, who's the first? Adam alayhi salam, clearly, because he is the father of humanity, he's the first prophet. That firstness of Adam, however, the scholars say, is a firstness in the physical world, in dunya, right? But in the spiritual realm, the realm of souls, before the physical creation, the Prophet sallallahu had that rank of nubuwa before Adam alayhi salam. That's what it means. So, if he has that rank of nubuwa in the realm of souls before the physical creation, Adam appears in the dunya, body and soul. He's a nabi, the first prophet in dunya. And then the last prophet is the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, in the physical world. If you if you look at a if you look at a circle, right? If you start from a point, if you go start from that point and go all the way around until the point the two points meet, right? You have the circumference. It's like the the full circle, right? So he's the first in the alam arwah, and the last in dunya. It's full circle, 
That's, that's what it's alluding to. And now, my explanation of this is not coming from my own philosophy. This is coming from the words of great ulama. Imam Mullah Ali Al-Qari has a detailed explanation of this in uh, one of his works, as well as Al-Imam Al-Subki, Rahimahullah. He mentions this commentary, and many other scholars have cited it, Imam Ghazali as well. Um, so this is coming from the uh, commentaries of the scholars who looked at these hadith to understand the big picture of the of human beings before this world in the spiritual realm and human beings after including the prophets and the, the ranks that they have that's that's the meaning so this is a distinction right it's not a distinction of uh, as some people misunderstand it oh he was just known in Allah's knowledge to be the final prophet or that's obvious right that's not that doesn't make him deceive because everything is included in Allah's knowledge, right? So, uh, any questions on that? I want to make sure that's clear. All of the prophets were determined, uh, chosen as being anbiya and rusul in the alam al-arwah. And the time of their vuhur in the world is, of course, the time of Allah's choosing. And this is mentioned in Ali Imran. In uh, Surah Ali Imran, we have the verse where Allah Ta'ala mentions the mithaq that he took from the prophets in that realm, that they would profess their iman and give support to the Prophet should they be alive and he appears among them. Spirit, yeah, Ruh and Jasad. The rest of the prophets were as well. The rest of them as w- were as well. So we we to give you a deeper understanding of this hadith, we should refer to another hadith. The other hadith is recorded by Abu Nuaym al Asfahani in his Dalail al Nabuwa. Uh, صحيح, with a sound authentic chain where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says In this hadith he mentions three distinctions I am the first Prophet created the last of them sent and the first of them to be resurrected so uh, this hadith when he says the first created. Well, we know Adam was the first created. So how, how do we reconcile that? We reconcile it with what I mentioned earlier, that this khalq is not referring to the creation in alam al-dunya. It's referring to khalq in the alam al-arwah, right, in that spiritual realm. So in the spiritual realm, when all of the arwah existed, which we don't remember, uh, in that realm when the arwah of every human being was created uh, in the community of prophets the first ruh of any nabi was the ruh of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu before the physical creation of Adam uh, so the, in this sense he is the first prophet 
not looking at the timeline of dunya. In the timeline of dunya, of course, Adam salam is the first prophet, zuhuran, in, in dunya. But in the big picture, if you extend the timeline to the previous realm, he's the first prophet created. That's what it means. Not the first prophet created in dunya. Right? That, that's clear. We know that Adam salam is the first prophet to appear in dunya. But in that previous realm, there is a, there's a tartib, you know, there's a, not only a hierarchy, but there's also a, a timeline of who was created first, second, third, and so on. So that's, that's what it means. So this is a, a distinction of preeminence and firstness uh, on multiple levels, right? A firstness in that realm, a firstness in this realm, a firstness in the hereafter in terms of what he receives. So this is the awaliya, right? That preeminence that is given to him by his Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. So uh, any questions on that before we move on? You look like you have a question. Yeah, so is who was created first? Yeah. And who was given prophethood first? Yeah. But the al-zuhur uh, al-jismani, the physical manifestation in this world, is of course Adam alayhi salam. Right? It's a... Uh, this, is, this is one of those areas where you know, the hadith, is, the hadith exist, and they're beautiful, but there's, we, we have to be mindful of how we explain them so people have a proper understanding. Yeah, right. So, yeah, you, a person can, if they read it literally without understanding, when he says, Adam, Adam was the first prophet created. They're thinking of creation in terms of the physical manifestation in the world. But that hadith is not talking about their manifestation in the world. They're talking about the creation of the ruh. It's, only, it's in that context that we understand this hadith, not in the physical realm. Yeah. He says, and he kind of moves on from this point. He says, some of the scholars have said, in essence, the intellect is but one, uh, is one but it has two facets one of them is of creation and that is the intellect which is common between a believer and a denier it is known as the intellect for livelihood aql al ma'ash so basically the aql that everybody has anybody who has aql for living in the world surviving survival instinct eating drinking Reproducing all of that, everyone has that if they have aql, mu'min or kafir, everyone has it. The second type of aql is of character, and that is the intellect unique to the believer, and is known as the intellect of guidance, aqlul hidayah, and in some say aql. The aql that's geared towards or oriented towards the hereafter, the mi'ad. If Allah grants him understanding beyond that, then he is more intelligent than the believer. Right? If you, you're, so you're, you're Muslim, right? you have aql 
for living in the world and surviving, you also have the aql of knowing you have a creator, you have a purpose, and you have guidance. But beyond that, some believers have more intellect than others. So if you have more beyond that, then he is more intelligent than the believer. If he grants him knowledge, then he is more intelligent than those before, those who don't have knowledge. If he grants him hikmah, then he is of greater intelligence. If he grants him gnosis, here means ma'rifah, like a deep experiential knowledge of Allah, then his level of intelligence is higher. If he unveils him to the reality, then he is the most intelligent. But if he grants him the perfection of tawheed, then he would be the foremost in intelligence. If he grants him sainthood, wilaya, then his intelligence is higher. If he grants him the rank of the Sufiya, you know, the pure and sanctified people, then his intelligence is higher than that of sainthood. If he makes that person a prophet, then he becomes more intelligent than the pure and sanctified, the Sufiya. And our Prophet is the most intelligent of them all. So the, he's just explaining, he's quoting a scholar who talks about the hierarchy of intellect, right? Some people were smarter than others. But the smarts here uh, does not refer to book smarts, doesn't refer to that raw intelligence of being good at math, IQ. your high IQ. Oftentimes people who have really high IQs are so intelligent on that level that they can convince themselves of absolute absurdities. Someone of a lower intelligence that has guidance would never even think that that makes any sense. Because it doesn't. We talked about this in Aqidah class. Right? When you look at some of the really intelligent people of Ilhad, you know, atheist or others, you see the intelligence applied to making these really elaborate arguments for their kufr. And they're so filled with flaws, but they're so long and elaborate that they've convinced themselves that, yeah, this is really intelligent. That's not the intelligence he's speaking about here. So he's giving you a hierarchy. You know, if you have the aql of survival, okay, everyone has that. Mu'min and kafir. If you have the aql of hidayah, then you have more than the person who just has the basic aql without hidayah. But even if you're a mu'min, there's levels. Some people have more than others. But this aql is not just book smarts. It's not just IQ. It's an aql oriented towards the hereafter. An aql oriented towards a taqarrub ila Allah. An intelligence oriented towards an ma'rifah billah. Right? And so there's levels to that. You know, the prophets have levels. Mu'minun have levels. And they're closest to Allah, their knowledge of Allah, and all of these levels. So when he says here, and I just want to clarify this, you know, uh, if, the, uh, if he makes him a prophet, then he becomes more intelligent, right? What he's talking about is not that a person can get so smart that they become a prophet. That's not what he means. Because as we mentioned in the Aqidah class, uh, prophethood, nubuwa, is uh, wahbi. It's wahbi, it's bestowed, it's given by Allah. It's not kesbi, it's not acquired through exercises, uh, spiritual rigors, discipline and focus. 
That is the belief of some of the falasifa, some of the philosophers that's utterly rejected, right? So what he's talking about here is in the, in the big picture, you know. When you look at humanity, you see that people have different levels of intelligence. Those who have the most intelligence are the anbiya, the rusul, right? Allah gave them that rank of nubuwa and that rank of, uh, of risala. And they got it because of Allah's pre-eternal uh, choice. Not because they passed a series of exams, not because they overcome, overwent certain obstacles and they earned it through their effort. Allah could have given it to anyone. But to anyone who receives that favor of istifa, of being a prophet or messenger, obviously before they receive the mission itself, Allah protects them, Allah enhances them, Allah develops them, Allah strengthens them, even before the mission is received. That's why they have a character before they even receive the wahi, before they even receive the message to deliver, they have a character, they have an intelligence. So, just want to put that in the right perspective. Don't, don't, you know, people shouldn't read that and think, oh, you know, if I apply myself, you know, yeah, you can apply yourself as a mu'min, and Allah chooses you to go to become closer to Him. He can increase your intelligence, that 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 aql oriented toward the hereafter. But you know, there's an upper limit here, and that upper limit <laughs> is, of course, wilaya, being close to Allah Taala. But you are still mutabir. You're still a follower of the Prophet wasallam because prophethood is, of course, ended. And it's not even acquired through effort in the first place. So I just want to clarify that. We'll end with this last quote here. Uh, Ibn Munabbih, this is Wahab Ibn Munabbih, has related in the book Al-Awarif, um, I would reword this slightly, and in the book Awarif Al-Ma'arif of Imam Al-Suhrawardi, he quotes Wahab Ibn Munabbih, who said, it has been related in 70 previous scriptures. Wahhab ibn Nabi had knowledge of the previous scriptures. That's, that's his forte. He had a deep knowledge of the Jewish and Christian uh, scriptures uh, and the rabbinical writings and the Christian writings. And he says it's been related in 70 previous scriptures. And, and 70 here means a lot. It doesn't mean literally 70. right? Mutlaqul kathra, when they say 70, they mean a lot that all intelligence that has been distributed among the people from the beginning of the world to its end in relation to the intellect of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is like one grain of sand in all the deserts of the world. Hafiz ibn Nasir al-Din al-Dimashqi has said in relation to this in poetry, the best of people are the noble messengers and the best of them are those of firm resolve, ulul azm, a complete virtue in pride. Their intellect, in relation to the intellect of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, is like a drop of water before a thousand oceans. So it's just a beautiful expression about the intelligence of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Whatever, whatever the Prophet sallallahu has of intelligence, it's wahhabi. It's given to him by Allah Taala. And many of the ulama have written 
uh, entire collections in two, three volumes just on the knowledge of the Prophet right? Uh, by far the best book is Jala al Qulub by Imam Muhammad bin Ja'far al Katani, Rahimahullah, in, th- in yeah, three volumes, uh, which is all about the knowledge Allah gave the Prophet at different stages. So he looks at that in relation to the, to the mu'ajizat and the miracles, his knowledge of things in the past, knowledge of things in the future that Allah gave him through wahi, right? Uh, so that's. We'll end there, inshallah, and we'll continue in the next section. Just do a quick look here. Uh, the the next section. It's more of this, uh, and then he gets to a section on the miracles, the miracles of the Prophet ﷺ, followed by the character. These are really short sections. The character is, is significantly longer. Uh, and this is all, remember, this is all the general section. He hasn't even gotten to the specific aspects. So there's a, there's a large ocean, right? And if you're going to drink from a large body of water, you take it one sip at a time. So, right? Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi.